Chapter thirty one of the Great Gold Rush A Tale of the Klondike. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kathy Barrett. The Great Gold Rush A Tale of the Klondike by W. H. P. Jarvis. Chapter thirty one An Odious Dilemma. Smoothbore was in possession of the facts Constable Hope had been able to gather, which were indeed very little less than the complete plot. Fifteen hundred men were camped in the bushes at the back of the dome, with enough bullets to kill the standing army of the British Empire, and he had available a few more than one hundred men. True, they were good men, but so were most of those on the other side. The trouble was that both parties were right. It was for him and his men to subdue this rebellion because it threatened the integrity and honor of the empire. At the same time, the insurrectos were demanding simple justice. It was an odious dilemma. In his mind's eye, he pictured the vast spaces that stretched between the Klondike and the outside. They could hardly seem farther away from help if the Klondike were on the planet Mars. Well, he would not surrender. It would be better to die. The Yukon was sweeping along but a stone's throw from the gate of the barracks. In eight or ten hours its rapid course would carry them into the United States. That might be a resource of security to his men, if they were beaten, but for himself he would fill a grave in that region of eternal frost. It was Tuesday evening. The sun was sinking in the north. Heaven's vault was finely painted in pink. The abrupt cliff on the west of the Yukon threw a deep shadow across the mighty river, whose stately flood had long held sovereignty in that weird land of dreams. The light from the clouds above struggled against the shadows in the river, and was blended with them. It was certainly majestic, magnificent. The commandant, as he walked up and down his office, often paused to gaze upon the familiar scene. A knock on the door caused him to start round. It was Herbert. I came to inquire, sir, for any fresh news on the situation. The news is, Herbert, that we may as well prepare to die a soldier's death. There is to be a display of force tomorrow, and mobilization on Friday, when a request to surrender will be sent in. Hostilities will open on Saturday. What will be their demands? That the police and all government officials quit the country. In other words, go down the river. And you will not comply? I will not comply. Can nothing be done, sir? Nothing but to fight to the last drop of blood. And the ultimate result? Anyhow, we shall have upheld the prestige of the British uniform. There was a pause. Both men were very thoughtful. The commandant then asked, "'You remember Child?' "'Yes.' He followed orders. He rode to death because his orders were to arrest, not to shoot. He did not flinch before the levelled rifle. What he did as an individual, the hundred and fifty of us can do. "'But we shall shoot.' "'We shall, while a cartridge remains and a finger has strength to pull a trigger.' Herbert looked glum. He was not a coward, but he thought his chief's policy was all wrong, and he was to give up his life, or die in ignominy. It made him bitter, and then his mind travelled across the great stretch of glacier, mountain, and plain, to his little cottage on the prairie. It was not cowardice that brought the moisture to his eyes. "'Damn it all, sir! It's hard to die here, like a rat in a trap!' Herbert cried. He did not share his chief's idealism promised to force the commissioner to bring some sort of order out of chaos and clear out the gold commissioner's office. Smoothbore knew of the cottage and the little girl with golden curls who was all the world to the inspector, so he understood the emotion of the other and felt sympathy. 
Reform. A promise of reform at this stage of the game would be no good. The leader of this movement is an idealist, a fanatic, and three-quarters of his followers, luck having been against them, hope to restore their fortunes by the experiment of a new government. The situation is not dissimilar to that in the thirteen colonies at the Revolution. A leader of parts, of education, imbued with theories on the rights of man, at the head of a mob thirsting for the lands and jobs of the loyalists. Why has Alaska a population? because the sheriff back east could not shoot straight. Why had America a population before the Revolution? Because there were not prisons enough in Europe. In fact, the situation in the Klondike today is much the same as it was in America before the Revolution. Only perhaps there is more justice on the side of these, our enemies, than there was on the side of the Yankees. The government of George III taxed tea, which was then much more of a luxury than it is today. Our government taxes the one product of our people." It was a long speech for the Commandant, but he knew what he was talking about. Herbert sighed. "'Any special orders, sir?' he asked. "'No. The men have been given their new arms, and the situation is pretty well understood among them. "'They are in fine fettle, sir, and spirit. Good. "'If, as I expect, hostilities open and things look hopeless, "'I shall give every man the opportunity of passing out and down the river, "'and this will include officers. "'But as for surrender, I won't.' Herbert, about to make his adieu, turned towards the door, when the chief remarked, "'It appears a prisoner known as Five-Ace Dan has been receiving communications from one of the leaders of the Rising. I have given orders that a double guard be put on these men, and special sentries, to see that no word passes among them. You will see that those orders are carried out.' "'Yes, sir. Good night, sir.' "'Good night, Herbert.' Smoothbore gazed at the river once again. It swung on its majestic course, but the rose tints were gone, only the dark shadows of the hill remained. The hour seemed ominous. End of chapter 31